Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Come see the Boutique on Central in downtown Laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing. Let us complete your one-of-a-kind look at the Boutique on Central at 531 Central Avenue in downtown Laurel. And now, it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. You know, that was a first. That was a first to have a power outage during my conversation with Lee Bond from Singer River Health System. Kyle and I have done this show pre-recorded live. We've we've done it during and after after hurricanes. Uh, we've been lucky at my house. I have a generator, and at his house, we've just been lucky. He he runs most of the show from his uh, studio there at his house, as I do from my studio here at my house. And uh, we had a power outage at his house during the last segment. And uh, we were able to recover, and I appreciate what Kyle had to do to pull all that together. But we're literally pieced back together with gum right now, and we're running running the show forward like we normally would. Hey, I'm really pleased now to have my friend Alex Littlejohn. You've, you, if you're a regular listener of COSU, you know that he's the state director for the Nature Conservancy. And then his director of marine programs, Tom Mormon, is going to be joining us as well. And Tom will come to you in just a second. But Alex, how you been? Man, it's been great. It was, you know, we're right on the cusp of uh, Thanksgiving and I've enjoyed the drier weather, the cooler weather. And uh, it's really nice when you step out and you hear some speckle bellies flying over your house. It kind of gets you, gets the blood flowing. Um, this is one of my favorite times of the year. It really, it, we, you know, it's a it's an amazing time of the year. You have uh, the people who love the outdoors, who love to hunt, and uh, and to some extent fish actually, especially here along the coast of Mississippi, where salinity is finally getting back into the water in the back bay areas. We're starting to see sort of the normal fall patterns start to s- settle in, but it's great. And of course, you got deer season, and you've got you know ducks right around the corner. Also, it's just a great time of year in Mississippi where we all take a step back and get in the moment for a second and, and thank God for what we have. It's just a special time of the year, is it, buddy? It's, it is, and Saturday, if you were a State or an Ole Miss fan, was pretty strong, too. Yeah, I know. I, there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Hey, uh, let's move over to you for a second, Tom. You're the Director of Marine Programs. Tell me more about that. So I've been with the Nature Conservancy for 11 years now. I started right after the oil spill, and most of my job is related to natural resources along the coast. So things that have to do with improving water quality, building habitat, uh, helping fisheries, and uh, and nature in general along the coast. Well, that's, that's, that's good. And obviously, we've had our share of disasters and challenges, whether it be the Bonacary Spillway, the oil, the oil spill, course Katrina which predated you but any any storm challenges the situation we're going to come uh, to in just a minute to a pilot oyster shell recycling program that you guys are involved in but as a general rule what do you what's your day-to-day activities look like uh, well every once in a while we do get to go out in the field and, and survey our, our projects we have a couple subtitle oyster reef projects in Bay St. Louis that we've been working on for several years trying to build back habitat uh, in that area. Uh, so occasionally we get out, we go on the boat, we sample those sites to see how oysters are doing, 
Occasionally, we'll sample for fish to see if fish production is increased in, in that area as well. Uh, fortunately, a lot of my time is actually doing grant writing and report writing as well. So I tend to sit behind my desk more than I would like, uh, but uh, we, we do try to force field work whenever we, we have the uh, excuse to do so. Well, it's important, you know, Tom, I get it too, that the Nature Conservancy, what makes it so effective is this ability to raise money, you know, from all types of sources. And without money, you can't do the kind of things that you've been able to do. I, I think about, you know, Alex, your work on the Phil Bryant WMA, uh, what a significant purchase of land that was for the state and I, you know all the other things that you're involved in it's not it's not common actually for people to think about the nature conservancy as it relates to things like water quality talk a little bit about those efforts yeah and to the financial part of it uh, we actually completed a financial analysis last last week and in the last 10 years we have directly invested ourselves in our fundraising efforts and our money We've directly invested $40 million in conservation for Mississippi. So, you know, and that's not, we're not even talking about money leveraged. And mm -hmm. you can easily assume it's one to one. And in, in some cases, and to Tom's credit, that leverage is two to one, something me and you've talked a lot about. Yeah. Um, but when you talk about water quality and, and water quantity and habitat, it, it, for people like me and Tom, it goes hand in hand, but we forget that. The, the average individual out there fishing off the Chandeliers or uh, fishing off the, you know, barrier islands or just hunting on path, um, Pascagoula River WMA or anywhere else, they don't really link that, you know, upstream conservation and, and restoration equals downstream improvements and enhancements. So when we talk about oysters, it's just as critical to conserve the headwaters of the Wolf, the Jordan, the Little, and, and Biloxi Rivers, and Pascagoula, and the Pearl, as it is to have the oyster reef in the water. And Tom's is the one that's really educated to me to the connectivity of that. And it really is all intertwined. It's like, a, it's like your grandmother's quilt. Every patch works. All right. You must be a good teacher, Tom. Well, it's it's interesting. Uh, we have a freshwater and a forest program in the state, and we kind of segregate ourselves, but I, I tend to think of those programs directly yeah. linking to the Gulf, whether those uh, directors know it or not, but they're they're within the, our marine program in my my mind. So yeah, yeah. So let's I guess Tom, you're probably in the best position to talk about this pilot oyster shell recycling program. But to think if somebody goes to a restaurant or any number of other ways that they might consume an oyster, the shells are often just kind of lost. So you guys realize that. And what have you done about it? What's this pilot program all about? So the, the first thing to keep in mind, oyster shells are an important substrate for growing new oysters. And in Mississippi, one of the, the challenges for recovering oysters to the state is to make sure that we have enough oyster substrate or places for new oysters to land available to grow out into the future. Uh, oyster shells are a commodity. They're being used a lot in restoration uh, for different projects to build up those oyster resources. So there's a value attached to those. So letting oyster shells just go to the dump, for example, is potentially a, a real waste of useful material. Um, so what an oyster shell recycling program in Mississippi would look like, the point would be to uh, 
intervene to prevent those shells from just going to a landfill and to put them back into nature so they can be used to, to be substrate for making new oysters and growing the resource more. Wow, so interesting. I, I bet, you know, I, when you, Alex, hear about programs like this, it gets you excited to say, you know, we want to be innovative. We want to, we want to, we want to put smart recycling programs in place. In this particular case, the fact that it creates the opportunity to grow more oysters in the future, it has to excite you, huh? It does. And Tom and I have have really investigated other programs similar to this across all, not only the Gulf but the Upper East Coast. And this is a pretty common theme. If if a state has what I would call a su successful oyster reef restoration plan or oyster restoration plan. This is usually top one or two priorities that they implement right off the bat. So Tom and I got together, it's been almost three years now ago and, and said, look, how do we do this? Because I, I personally believe Mississippi has the ability to set up likely the most successful oyster uh, shell recycling program, mainly because our, our Gulf Coast is about 90 miles long and logistically our restaurants are all set up on the same corridor. So when you get into the details of other programs, it's logistics that cause problems. But when you look at the way our coastline is arranged and where our restaurants are, it makes those logistical problems almost irrelevant because of that ability. And if we can remove that one limitation, we can really set up a very successful program and it's, it's so interesting to me because it's so easy to connect the user, me, you, Kyle, and Tom, who are eating and others, to the resource. Yeah. They become a yeah. player in the game. And, and it's, it's, it's that connectivity. It's like, you know, growing up, we would go pick the, the purple whole peas from my grandmother's yard, and that's what we ate that night with cornbread. So to me, it's, it's interesting that we can connect the user um, to the actual restoration effort itself. It makes a lot of sense. Like uh, at my place up in the Delta, uh, the farmer we work with, who's a really good friend of ours, and he hunts and comes down and goes fishing with me. We're just really good friends. But their family owns, uh, they, they farm thousands of acres in the Delta, but they also own land in Arizona. And the valley where they own uh, uh, land, about, uh, you know, well, I want to try to re recall the percentage, but it's a very high percentage of, of yeah. all romaine lettuce and for the United States is grown in that valley. I was learned what in learning more about it. They literally they they pick it and package it right there and it goes straight yeah. to the retail or to the to the uh, uh, to the restaurant from there. They, they, they've literally knocked out the middleman completely and they've changed their entire process. Now, it's very it's very comprehensive because they have the invasive species can't come in, you know, wild animals can't come in, but they've really, they've really focused on that. Sounds to me like that same kind of opportunity is available for the oyster uh, men as well. Yeah, I'm gonna let Tom speak to that because he's the one in it every day in detail. He can speak at length, so I'm not gonna steal that thunder. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think one at the heart of this program would be connecting uh, consumers to locally sourced products. Uh, you know, programs like that, you know, people wanna be in touch with the source of their food, whether it's a, a, a marine resource of some kind, fish, oysters, crab, or if it's a farmed resource, but the closer you can get to the producers, I think the better off you are locally because you're supporting, you know, the places where that food comes from, whether it's the ocean or it's from the land. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, anyway, look, when we come back on the other side, we're going to uh, 
talk a little bit more about the process. You know, this this material they, they get is called a clutch. How does it use to grow lava, et cetera? We'll talk more about that when we come out on the other side. Be great. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. When you hear the name The Nature Conservancy, you know, it's been around for, for a long time, but you don't think about, as Alex pointed out, $40 million in direct uh, investments. You don't think about the amount of matching funds that, have, that have, they've been able to get, in some cases, one-to-one, in some cases, two-to-one, maybe in some cases, more than that. Matching funds are important because you're able to pull grants and other federal money and maybe even some private funds and put them with uh, other money that's raised to really take a project that would be at this level and, and bring it to a whole new level. But, you know, we're lucky to have leaders like Alex Littlejohn in the state. He's the state director of Nature Conservancy and the kind of innovations that they're involved in is truly remarkable. I had an opportunity actually to work with with Alex on the Conservation Trust Fund that we work so closely together on, and hopefully we'll get that next year. And then you think, you know, you get people like Tom Mormon, uh, who's a director of more marine uh, programs for the Nature Conservancy. You get you get them focused on raising money and doing innovative things. In this case, a pilot oyster shell recycling program that can. You think about growing oysters, but it really is about. Uh, it's, it's almost like reconfiguring the supply chain to some extent, the, what, you, what you're talking about. But let's come back to what I mentioned before we went to break. This clutch, this natural material that, that using the oyster, fair, uh, oyster shell uh, enables for you. Talk to me about how that's used to actually grow future oysters. So the way oysters uh, reproduce in the wild is they're uh, sessile organisms, they stay in the same place their entire lives, and when they're ready to reproduce, they release larvae into the water. And that larva has a couple weeks to float around and drips in the currents and ends up wherever it ends up. At some point, it gets triggered to settle out, and it just sinks to wherever they are. So they'll, they'll sink down, and when they land on something that's a firm or hard substrate, they'll stay there for the rest of their lives. If they don't have any place to land, if there's no uh, colch material there, for example, or other oysters, or or even an old shoe, uh, they they don't they don't make it. They need something to grow on, and and that's why colch planting using oysters, oyster shell, uh, in some cases limestone, and other parts of the country they use crushed concrete. If there's nothing for them to land on, then there are no oysters that are going to come back. They need to, to be in the right spot. So, so um, it's interesting. Oysters are a really important indicator of, of um, the health of the estuary, aren't they? Yeah, most definitely. They are uh, filter feeders, so they're ingesting all the, the water that's coming through. Uh, some, some, some oysters can... Uh, filter as much as 40 gallons of water a day. There are lots of estimates to that point, uh, but you know, that's that's a lot of water no matter what. And you get a, a nice healthy reef, they're gonna be doing a lot to clean out 
uh, phytoplankton and other nutrients that are are captured in in that food source. Rick, I've had Mike, I've had Mike Arguelles on the show before. Uh, with, he's into aquaculture, as you probably know, and you had this burgeoning, you know, entrepreneur uh, community that's, that's getting into aquaculture of. Uh, of um, of orchards in these cages and whatever. That's cool to be able to see, isn't it? Yeah, some of the best tasting oysters I've ever had have come from the the Deer Island Aquaculture Farm. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Really we had some. For, we had some for Christmas last year, and yeah. good lord, they were really good, really good. Oh, Alex, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. No, I I was just going to mention on the back end of Tom's comments. It's interesting. Tom has really educated me personally on the fact the the uniqueness of oysters is that they're the one one of the true species that serve as their own habitat. So when you think about an oyster reef, you you know a lot of us will think about you know we're catching specks and reds and and triple tails off of these reefs and. At the same time, this is the same resource that we're, you know, we're selling and, and utilizing at the restaurants. And then on top of that, you get the added benefit of a, of the water filtration and the clean water availability that they provide. I mean, it, it it's likely the most um, under-recognized, under-appreciated resource out there on the Gulf Coast, mainly because you can't see them when they're underwater. But every one of us know what they do. And when you really look at it, the ability to to describe them in that capacity is just incredible. And you see just how incredible a role that they play. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It really is. I've had Moby Solangio many times talking about um, uh, bottlenose dolphin and how they're sort of the canary in the landmine if, if something's wrong and you find a dead porpoise, you can really do a lot of research to really understand the health of the organization, excuse me, health of the estuary system. And right behind that is probably the oyster. I mean, and what yeah. not only contributing to helping make it better, but uh, you know, telling us a lot about, about the health of the situation. That's why, you know, when we the Bonnie Carey Spillway was opened and we had the algae bloom and all of that and the I mean, it just decimated some oyster populations, particularly over in the western side of the Mississippi Sound. Um, such an important, such an important thing that you guys are involved in. But you know, again, coming back to you, Alex, it's really interesting to see once again that the Nature Conservancy is hitting on so many different cylinders. This being just one of them, but um, but you know, you've had a good year, haven't you? You know, we've had a we've really had a great couple of years. The the forty million you, you spoke to earlier, you know, that's that's simply direct money over the last ten years that Tom and our forest program director Becky Stowe, our freshwater director Scott Lemons, and our fundraising team Susan and Cody. I mean, look, our our success is due in large part to the fact that they stay they have stayed laser focused on trying to help move the conservation needle. And we've had some great successes and we want to continue that. We think the, I, I loved your comment earlier. We think that Mississippi is likely the capital of the outdoors uh, in the US. And we've got so much to show uh, the rest of the nation in the ways that we can take care of our resources, but at the same time, enjoy them. And we want to be a player in that game. And, and I feel like we are, uh, and I really want to grow in that capacity and it takes private dollars and fundraising dollars to do it. And, and I can't thank our donors and supporters enough because at the end of the day, that's really what uh, makes our operation tick is those is those people making the donations to us and getting us out the door and making making opportunities like this, you know, by yeah, a really reality. Sure. Yeah. And in the, the short time we have left, you know, Tom, you want to you want to kind of sum it up what the future holds for this effort? 
Well, we're, we're currently doing a pilot phase, so we're looking into the feasibility of the cost of logistics, how much material is out there. But the next part uh, is going to be engaging with restaurants. They're going to be the most important partner of this project. They're the ones who are going to make it work. And we've already laid out the groundwork for that. We, we've surveyed about 26 of them and uh, had very good responses back. Uh, and we're, we're very thankful for that input. And it's helping. That us is great to hear. So anyway, hey, you guys, we're, we're, Nature Conservancy continues to do amazing work. Thank you so much, Alex and, and uh, Tom, for joining me today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you. You bet. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.